Well, this morning we are continuing our series on outsiders, biblical outsiders, and we are looking at Gideon. And you may wonder to yourself, why, how is Gideon an outsider? I mean, after all, Gideon was an Israelite. Gideon ended up being one of the judges, one of the, one of the great and powerful judges who helped the people of Israel uh, throw off the shackles of their oppressors, the Amalekites in this case. Um, and, and so we'll talk about why Gideon or how Gideon could be seen to be an outsider as we go along. But I, but I have to give you a warning a little bit. And, and, and this is something that has been occurring to me as I've been studying uh, some of these biblical outsiders. Um, And as we've been going along, I I think sometimes we have a bit of a tendency to lack compassion for biblical characters, right? We we tend to look down upon their bad choices pretty harshly. Um, And and I, I think that in doing so, sometimes we do... Uh, not only them, and, and they probably don't care because, you know, they're dead, most of them, all of them, right? Um, they, except for Jesus, he's not dead. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> they probably don't care, but we do a disservice to them and the story that is in the, the biblical narrative, but we also kind of do a disservice to ourselves because we kind of subconsciously place ourselves in the role of holier than thou or more superior or you know better than them at least We're, we do that with the story of israel we have a tendency to do that with the whole story of israel right like we we see them get out of the land of egypt and and like within seconds it feels like they're complaining about how much better it was in egypt and all this kind of stuff right and, and we tend to go uh ha, israelites right but But that's not the point of the story, right? The point of the story is not how pathetic the Israelites are. The point of the story is how faithful and great and good and righteous and holy God is um, and, and how in spite of human, like all human, uh, faithlessness and weakness and, and all these kinds of things, God loves and carries people through regardless. So, be aware that we are going to, in some ways, paint a pretty negative portrait of Gideon. But that's not so that we can look down upon him. It is so that we can identify with him and move forward together with him and with God in the way that God moves forward with us in love and in mercy. And so I would, this is going to be a lot of scripture passage because the story of Gideon is actually fairly long in Judges. We are going to look at parts of chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Judges. And uh, there's going to be quite a few of those little parts, um, some of them fairly long. Uh, I would invite you to follow along either by pulling out your pew Bibles or uh, your own Bible if you brought it or follow along on the screen. Remember, this is the time 
after Joshua and, and the Israelites, by the power of God, have conquered a good portion of the land uh, that God had promised to Israel, but they have not entirely done what God asked them to do. Uh, they have not completely wiped out the peoples of Canaan that God had asked them to wipe, wipe out. And, and that's, like I said before, a whole other story. Uh, they had not done that. And, and so there are remnants, and, and indeed over the years, these remnants of these peoples of Canaan, they rise up and become strong. Not only that, but the people of Israel get led astray into worshiping Baal, over and over and over again. And, and during this time, Israel has no king. It's a very decentralized... In, in fact, government would be pushing it, right? There, there is, there's the priests, uh, the priestly order. Um, that's more or less it. People have their tribal councils and their village councils, which are made up of the elders, and they sort of keep things going. But there's, there's not government, really, right? So the Israelites, time and time again, they start to do bad things. They worship Baals. They start to go in the way of the people that they're not supposed to go in the way of. And, and, and they get in trouble. And they get in trouble usually through one of the ites, one of the peoples, uh, Midianites, Amalekites, whatever, Hittites, whatever. They come and they start to oppress the people of Israel. And the people of Israel eventually cry out under their burden of oppression. And God hears their cry and takes pity on them and sends a judge along. And so periodically throughout, obviously, the book of Judges, you have judges who appear and they are, uh, they are commissioned, blessed, called by God to take care of uh, the oppression that is happening over the people of Israel and to call the people of Israel back to righteousness. All right, a lot of context. Here we go. The Israelites... Oh, we're starting at verse 11. Yeah, of course we are, because that's what I asked for. Uh, <clears throat> this is after uh, God has explained through uh, the writer of Josh, uh, Judges that uh, the Israelites were doing evil again and were, were being oppressed. Okay, So, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <clears throat> now we need to pause for a minute. God says through the angel of the Lord, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, as Midian, or as Gideon sorry, is down in a pit threshing the wheat, which was fine. That was sort of what they did. They had a pit and they would thresh the wheat and the, the, the way that the wind worked <coughs> and, and so on, the, the chaff would rise up and be blown away. So that's not a big deal. But he's doing it, right, in a pit in a way that he can hide it from the Midianites. He, he is not a mighty warrior. He is... A guy who is hiding, is hiding 
the, the field, the crops of the field, so that the Midianites will not steal it. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And now, I'm not a psychologist or anything like this, but it sounds a little bit based on what Gideon says a little bit later on, uh, or what he does, what he's called to do, that this is a bit of a deflection, right? Gideon is kind of saying, well, <laughs> yeah, you haven't been taking care of us, God, so what's up with that? But meanwhile, you'll find out in just a few uh, verses, a few moments here, Gideon's family and most of the people of Israel have been worshiping Baal and, and disobeying the covenant the covenant laws and so on that they had promised to obey. And so it's no wonder that they have been oppressed by the Midianites because they have disobeyed God's covenant. But yet, of course, Gideon wants to blame it on God. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God turns it back on him. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Notice that that. Gideon is, Gideon is aware that he is not a particularly courageous man. He, he doesn't have a lot of power. He's not even from a big family. He, he's the smallest of the tribe of Manasseh, his family. And, and so he's wondering, how is this going to happen? Which is, you know, not uncommon in the biblical record. There are lots of people who have been called by God who wonder how it is possible that God might use them in the way that he says they will. But let's carry on. Verse 25, skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, that same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole and that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon, Gideon was obedient. Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and, he, and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than at the daytime. Right? So Gideon is threshing his wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites because he's, he's afraid. He's afraid. 
right? And then God shows up, the angel of the Lord, which is not a small thing. If you read those verses in between, uh, you know, at one point Gideon says, I have seen the face of the Lord. I'm going to die. And God says, no, no, it's okay. Uh, You'll be okay, right? So he knows the impact of the fullness, the reality of God's presence in front of him. And yet, right next to that, he he obeys God, but he's terrified of his own family and his, the people in the town. And so he does it at night. He's hiding it, right? Moving on to verse 36 here. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised. This is when we're getting into the famous, uh, the, the famous uh, illustration that Gideon, uh, Gideon gives us in terms of putting out our fleece to find out what God wants. But there's, yeah, some interesting things there. God, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand as you said. Okay, so God comes to talk to Gideon when he's threshing his wheat. And then God shows, proves that it is himself by consuming the offering that Gideon brings for him. And then God talks to him again after he's taken down the Asherah pole and the Baal, uh, the, the altar and stuff. God talks to him again and he says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save Israel through you. The same message that he's given the whole time. But Gideon needs more He needs more reassurance. He needs more courage. He doesn't have enough courage. He's afraid. And so he asks for a proof. He asks for this demonstration with the fleece. In verse 38, And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. And Gideon needs more proof. right? So he gets the second fleece proof as it were right but here's the thing so many of us including myself are so anxious and worried about so many things these days right it's it's understandable that gideon living under a repressive regime might feel anxious, might feel worried, might want absolute incontrovertible proof that this is what God wants and that God is with him. And and you notice something. Like, there are times when God starts to get a little bit angry with various people who ask him for proofs. Right? There's a point when Moses is talking with God and God's like, Oh, Moses, fine, we'll send along Aaron too. Right? But, but we don't hear that with Gideon. 
We don't hear that at all with Gideon. Gideon says, don't be angry with me. Right? And, and you can almost hear him saying, I'm just, I'm just really terrified. And, and so God gives him the other sign. God gives him what he needs in order to do what God has called him to do. And see, this is how Gideon is an outsider. Gideon is an outsider for, for several reasons. One is he is an outsider in the sense that he is an oppressed person living amongst an oppressed people who are being oppressed by the Midianites, right? So the Midianites in this scenario, in some ways, are the insiders. They're the ones with all the power, right? But in another sense, Gideon is an outsider because he is supposed to be one of the people of Israel who is worshiping God, Yahweh, the one true God. And he is not. I mean, he, he is an Israelite, but all of the Israelites have made themselves once again to be outsiders. And all of the Israelites are worshiping worshiping Baal and so on. So they have pulled themselves out of the camp of God again and they are worshiping Baals. And so they have made themselves outsiders in that way too. But then Gideon is an outsider in a third way. Gideon is an outsider because he lacks courage, because he is afraid, because he is anxious, because he needs so much reassurance. And you notice how God is going to, in this story, God is going to take Gideon and bring him in, in all three ways. He is going to, through Gideon, sort of, he is going to rescue the people of Israel. And so that they are no longer outsiders, but instead they are in power in their country. Right? He is going to bring Gideon into worshiping again the one true God and has already started to do so with telling Gideon to pull down the Asherah pole and the altar and to build a new altar and offer a sacrifice to God, Yahweh, right? And he is going to call the people of Israel back into that proper relationship with God as well. And then thirdly, he is going to call Gideon out of his fear through what he does next listen to where we go from here jonathan this is chapter 7 and we'll read verses 1 to 25 early in the morning jerob baal that is uh, another name for gideon <clears throat> and all his men camped at the spring of harod the camp of midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of morah the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. So he instantly loses more than two-thirds of his army. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. 
If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog, laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. So he goes from more than 30,000 troops to 300, right? This is not going to be good for a guy like Midian or Gideon. I keep on doing that. Uh, This is not going to be good for a guy like Gideon, right? He's already terrified of this whole thing. But to do him credit, Gideon always, in this whole thing, he does what God asks him to do, which is amazing. Even though he's terrified, he does what God tells him to do. So, So he sends away all the people, right? So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites, verse 8, home but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During the night, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. And listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Listen to how patient God is, right? God says, hey, you know what? Go down and attack him. But I know you, Gideon. I love you. I know you're probably terrified at all of this. So if you're, if you're afraid to attack them, go down with Pura, your servant, and listen to what they're saying, and you'll get that reassurance that you need, Right? So patient, right? So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Right? This is a little bit of a replay of what was going on with Rahab and Jericho from last week, right? The people of Jericho were terrified by the people of Israel because somehow the Spirit of God had spread among them the sure, true knowledge that they were going to be just devastated by the Israelites. And here... Right, to our knowledge, unless the biblical writers ref- left out something, which I don't think they did, th- there is no evidence that Gideon is a mighty warrior yet. He hasn't done anything to be a mighty warrior yet. Right? So how they came to have this, it's the movement of God, right? <clears throat> when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. 
good for him. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies of about 100, I guess. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from around all, all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the night, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah towards Zererah as far as the border of Abel-Meholah near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Amen. How many of us are afraid, are anxious, are worried? Right? I I am sometimes. I am sometimes. For for me, uh, that that sometimes comes out in sadness, right? In depression. I, I look at the world and instead of seeing the beautiful creation and the sovereignty of God and the reality that God has won the victory over sin and death and everything evil and that all is true, instead of seeing that hope my eyes <clears throat> see the brokenness that still exists and the sadness and the, the worry over <clears throat> everything international to local. You know, whether it's worrying about loved ones in our own congregation or whether it's worrying about people uh, half the world away, the worry is there. And I'm anxious and I'm afraid. If I were to ask you how many of you deal with anxiety or depression or worry, just even worry, right? I, I think there'd probably be a, a, lot, a lot of hands, right? Maybe not everybody. Maybe not everybody worries. I don't know. I haven't met too many people who don't worry on some level. It's, it's not how we were designed to live. 
we were designed, we, we've been learning, we were designed to live in loving relationship with God, heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, all of it. And we were designed to live in loving relationship with our fellow human beings. And we are designed to care for this creation that God has given us, steward its resources and use them uh, for the good of each other and this world. We, we were designed to not live in fear of anyone except for a godly fear of God Himself. And, and that's, not, that's not the kind of fear that we're talking about here. That's a somewhat different kind of fear, right? But yet we, we live as, as human beings in so much worry and fear. And God knows that. God knows that. Genuine fear, right? Like, God is so amazing that, that He knows the difference between the fear that Moses had, the sort of trepidation that Moses had when God was calling him to lead the people of Israel versus the kind of fear that Gideon has. And I'm not sure that I can articulate exactly what the difference is between those fears, except that God sees to the heart of each of those men and knows exactly what they need. And so God, in His compassion and in His wisdom and His righteousness and His holiness, gives Moses a bit of a kick in the pants. While God, in His wisdom and in His compassion and in His love and, and, and righteousness and holiness, is incredibly patient with Gideon. But, but here's the neat thing. Notice how God, yes, God brings Gideon back inside by, by reminding Gideon and calling Gideon to worship God alone, right? And so Gideon does. He learns that and he worships God alone, right? But then he also brings Gideon in. He brings Gideon in by giving him and the Israelites power over the Midianites and the Amalekites and the so on and so forthites, Right? He, he, he brings them in to the place where they can once again be hopefully a light shining to the peoples around them. But then last but not least for Gideon himself, God brings him in by teaching him patiently and lovingly, when I say, Gideon, when I say, Gideon, I will do something, I will do it. You can trust me. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. You're trying to reassure yourself with more than 30,000 troops that you can do this. But no, 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 no. No, no, no. Because I am with you, you can do it with a third of that. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry, Gideon. Actually, you can do it with, I don't know, a tenth? One percent? One percent. One percent of the beginning. Mass, right? One percent of the total. Three hundred men. And this is God's message to you. And to me. 
what God calls you to do. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself, whatever that looks like. To care for this world. You can do that. You can do that. And God promises that. God holds that out to you. But not only that, but God says all of these things that you worry about, whether it is you know, how well your grandchildren are doing in their faith relationship with God, or, or whether it is the state of the world economy, or, or, or anything in between, all of those things, God has a plan for that. And it's not necessarily that God's going to force this person to do that or this person to do that. It's not necessarily that. But God does have a plan. A plan that says that God is going to work all things to the good of those who love Him. And so you don't need to be afraid, Gideon. Cling to the promise, Gideon. Cling to the promise, brothers and sisters. We don't need to be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we confess that sometimes sometimes we make ourselves outsiders through disobedience to You, to worshiping other things or whatever gets us tempted And sometimes we make ourselves outsiders through fear. Lord, please forgive us for those times where we have made ourselves outsiders through disobedience. And Lord, too, please forgive us for when we have let our fear make us outsiders as well. But Lord, please in your gentle mercy. Draw us in as you did with Gideon. Help us to no longer be afraid except for having the holy and righteous fear of you, O God. Help us to live our lives with courage, not because we are so courageous, but because we trust so emphatically and completely in you. That you will do what you say you will do. That you will care for us through all our lives and beyond into the life to come. Father, help us. Teach us as you taught Gideon, O Lord, that we may live courageous lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. We'll invite the praise team forward to sing our song of response, which is Take My Life. And this is, this is not a small thing, right? Gideon offered up his life, <laughs> offered up his life even though he was terrified. And who knows what God will ask you to do. It may be something terrifying. It may be something that you're comfortable doing. But chances are really good God is going to call you out of your comfort zone. So let us sing this song, but do so with serious intent. Take my life and let it be.